continuing a series called Encounters with Jesus this morning. Jesus met a lot of people in his ministry here on earth, and I want to look at, we're going to be looking at some of the encounters uh, in this series, what happened and what we can learn. And we're in John chapter 4 this morning, and uh, that's in the New Testament, and we've handed out some Bibles. It's about two inches from the end of the Bible, and we're going to create a new competition. Have you ever had that when you're looking for a verse and you open the Bible and it's right on the verse? If you ever get that, shout out and we'll give you a special... Oh, there's no mints left. <laughs> I was going to say you can have a special mint. No, you can have a round of applause. There you go. Never mind. So this passage today occurs before Jesus heals the official son, which was our, our last talk when we last looked at this series. And you can catch up uh, online if you want to. I uh, really encourage you to do that, to catch up on some other talks uh, that we've done in this series. So we're going to be reading John chapter 4, and we'll start at verse 4 to 26. Let's read. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then the Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I am he. Amen. There's three things I want to unpack this morning as we look to Jesus in 2019. Firstly, Jesus goes where no one else wants to go. Secondly, he knows what no one else knows. And thirdly, he shows a way to love. So firstly, Jesus goes where no one else wants to go. I, I, I remember, does anybody remember their first jobs? The first jobs they've had? Yeah, I, I remember it 
uh, really clearly. I worked in Morrison's. It's, it was previously Safeway. And I think I mentioned before, the uniform that they had in Safeway, they ran out of. So I was given a bow tie. And I had to, ro I was rocking Safeway, stacking shelves with a black bow tie. And just to top it off, I had braces as well. Spotty teenager, hi, welcome to Safeway. Uh, and that was me. And it wasn't great for a teenager trying to look cool at life, you know, when you're, 30, when you're 16, 17 years old. And I remember being called into the office with another guy who had just started at Safeway. And we were to go trolley hunting. We were to go trolley hunting. Now, I thought, great, this is going to be a, a brilliant sky. I'll get the afternoon off, and we'll just need to collect some trolleys. Uh, trolleys in this place where we lived uh, would get stolen daily and uh, left wherever, wherever they were left. So uh, I knew we'd be a good few hours away, and, but then they spoke of what we needed to wear. Then they said what we needed to wear. And they had waders, and they had a rope. And at that point, when I was in the office, office, it was getting a little bit less exciting at that point. I was thinking, oh, okay. And to top it all off, it was at a place at the end of the river that no one would walk past because of the smell. So this place was notorious. You just would not go there. It was a well-known place to be avoided. And uh, going to school, I remember it, you would jump a tall fence. And it was, you know, it was quite a climb just to avoid going down by the bridge next to this place in the river. And I thought... Oh, there's no way. This isn't in my contract. I can't be doing this. Uh, I have to put, I'm meant to put tins on shelves, not wade in rivers. But anyway, I was having a wee think about trade unions and what my right, no, I wasn't really. I was 16 years old. I'd done as I told. I tried speaking to my parents and they just said, just do what they say. The following Saturday, I was there and all because we, somebody saw four, four trolleys at the end of the river and they decided to call the supermarket and they got us to go. It wasn't my greatest day, but it was character building and we managed to get through it. I was freezing and the waders didn't work and I got back soaking wet and it wasn't a place that I ever wanted to visit ever again. You know, if Jesus was at Safeway, he would be all over that. He would be like, I'm going there, I'm the first in line. I'm going to go where no one else wants to go. Because those places are often places that are part of Jesus' rescue plan for people. And we see that in this passage. We see in Samaria, in verse 4, that you had to go through Samaria. Now, looking at commentators who have studied this passage, by departing for Galilee and heading northwards, going through Samaria was shorter, but it was to be avoided by Jews. Now, it was to be avoided by Jews because their history, they were deported and uh, there was intermarriage between foreigners and Jews. So in this place, Jews would look upon these people and think, we don't want anything to do with these people. These people who said they were Jews, they have, they have dis dishonored. They have dishonored our culture. They have dishonored our past. The people, the Samaritans, were seen and considered impure and to be avoided. So Jews didn't go there, but Jesus did. But Jesus did. So we see with Samaria, it was a place where no one wanted to go, but Jesus did. And then we have a little bit, you don't ever get passages in the Bible you read and you don't think anything off, and then you look back and you think, wow. There's a little line in verse 6b where it says, just in the second part of 6, where it says, Jesus, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And then it says, it was about noon. It was about noon. Now, it was pretty hot at noon. When you went to get water from a well, you would go early in the morning, 
really early or you would go very late at night. You wouldn't go anywhere near. You wouldn't go out for a long walk at noon. It is what Mary and I affectionately call the heat of the day. And we uh, would sing a little song sometimes where it's the summertime and we'd go, right, are the boys going to go out just now between 12 or 3? And we'd go, no, because it's the heat of the day. And, we're just, and we'd talk about, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I'm telling you that, but it is the heat of the day. It is the heat of the day. Jesus walked. He was weary. He was showing his humanness there. And was at the well at a time when no one else would be there. It would be scorching. No one would go. But Jesus did. People went to the well, as I've said, at cooler times of the day. The Samaritan woman went at this time because it was the quietest time. And no one could give her a hard time due to her reputation. So this was a divine appointment. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. So we see he goes to Samaria. He's there at noon. And then thirdly, we have the Samaritan woman. In verse 7. We see that. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. This is a Samaritan woman in a public place. A man wouldn't speak or even look at a woman in this context. You wouldn't even share dishes with a Samaritan. It was ceremoniously unclean to do so. But Jesus did. In verse 9, we have the woman's, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, this is her reply, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The woman's reply even reiterates, what are you doing? Why are you speaking to me? Why are you here? This doesn't happen. In this time, in this context, husbands, so husbands wouldn't even speak to their wives in public at this time. And there's Jesus at a well in Samaria at noon, speaking to a woman who's went there because she didn't want to see anyone else because of what people thought of her. Wow. Three situations with a common theme threaded throughout them. You know, what the world says, what is right, what the laws, what the traditions say, to keep your standing, when folk would say, you just wouldn't do that. Jesus did. Jesus did. Do you remember the bands? Did anybody have those bands? What would Jesus do? WWJD? Do you remember them? We need to resurrect those bands. I was just thinking of little examples. You know, when people point over to that guy in the office, when you have that induction at your new job, and they say, oh, don't bother with that guy there. He keeps himself to himself. What would Jesus do? When you're on, uh, you have that street that your child has a friend inviting you to their house and you've heard a lot of bad stuff about that family and you're weary about taking your children to that person's house. What would Jesus do in that instance where everyone says, hmm, not too sure. Have you heard what's going on? Or you're going out on Friday night to help with street pastors. People are saying, do you know that Friday night is the optimum time for street violence and that you are placing yourself at high risk? You should stay in. <laughs> I don't know if people would say that. <laughs> Jesus would be out there, wouldn't he? Do you see the picture I'm trying to paint? Jesus goes where no one else wants to go, and he calls us to go and do the same. He goes to Samaria, he goes at noon, he speaks to a Samaritan woman, and all of those things are crazy. 
But we are to do whatever we are called to do. The mess, the heat, the opinions are not to sway us. C.S. Lewis says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. What does it look like for you this morning? What is the world saying? I wouldn't if I were you. Don't go there. What would Jesus do? What is he calling you into? And then secondly, Jesus knows what no one else knows. There's one thing that I have both loved and hated about Christmas holidays as I reflect, and it is Secret Santa. Did anybody get presents where there were Secret Santas? Yep. Uh, so Secret Santas, uh, we had a few occasions through the Christmas holidays, and I've got to say with positive results for me, all great presents. I got a lovely wallet, some chocolate, some fairy lights. A few people know how much I love fairy lights. But I remember in the past, there's been some other times in previous years where they have missed the mark. And the thing you want to really know on those occasions is, who got me the present? I need to know this because I got a really good thing. I invested. I thought of that person's character. I, 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 I looked through the year and I researched what they loved, the little behaviors. And I thought, that is a perfect gift for them. You know, once I got a secret Santa and... Uh, a few years ago, this is a few years back, and I opened it up. It was all together a group of people, and they all got great gifts. I still mourn this. They all got great gifts. And as I was opening the present, it was a frame. And I thought, this is a nice frame. And I opened the frame, and I turned, round, I turned it around. And it was a photo of the person who was the secret Santa with his thumbs up like that. That was the present. And it was quite awkward because I was like, hey, thanks. See, inside, I was gutted. And you know, not only that, the following year, somebody in our group, it was in our small group, seeing that I was feeling slightly awkward about it. The following year, he got me as a secret Santa again. And he got me a photo cube with eight photos of him. <laughs> secret Santa is a risk with me. Now, why am I telling you that? Don't quite know. When you have, going back to those moments where you want to know, you want to know who got me that gift, and sometimes you'll never know. You know, Jesus knows what no one else knows. He knows your secret Santas, but more importantly, he knows everything about us. If I could just go back to, if we could read Psalm 139, which reiterates that great truth. Just a few verses. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hear me, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Jesus knows what no one else knows. He knows for each one of us this morning, He knows the dreams, He knows the insecurities. He knows the secrets. He knows the struggles. He sees it all. And as Jesus goes where no one else goes, he's engaging with the Samaritan woman. And after Jesus asks for a drink, the Samaritan woman questions his request in verse 10, as we've read. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This woman engaging with Jesus doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. In verse 15, it's, she, she says, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to the well. She's thinking that when she hears living water, she's thinking of a stream of something like fresh spring water, a water that is moving. When you think of a well, that's not typically fresh water. It's not typically, uh, it's not moving, it's kind of gathered but what Jesus is doing is initially going where no one else would go by speaking to her. He is now speaking into her heart. And then we see in verse 16 and 17, Jesus bringing supernatural insight into this woman's life. He knew what went on in this woman's life, why she was an outcast, what had happened, but also he knew the deepest pains and hurts that caused her to go to the well at noon. John Stott, in his commentary, says this, and I love this, uh, just this, for painting the picture of where she was at. He says, Jesus knew of the relational desert in which she was living. She was lost. She was living in a desert place. She needed living water. When it was not uncommon, at that time, it was not uncommon for women to have three husbands at that time. She had five she had had five and another partner, six men that she had been with. So as well as Jesus revealing her way of life, I'd like to suggest that actually what Jesus was doing in this moment was also highlighting the rejection that she had felt. As at, at that time, women could not divorce from men. It was men that had to divorce from women. So five times that woman would have had a man saying to her, no, this can't go on. This is finished. This is finished. Rejected, 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 rejected. Five men said, you aren't worthy. She was empty. She was lost. She was alone. And this revelation probably surprised her and rocked her. We don't read of that. But what she did after that revelation is she changed the subject. Her response in verse 19 Possibly, just to 
open up another conversation. But actually, in this moment, it's another faux pas, because what she does is opens up a theological conversation, which to do to a man, again, was another thing you just would not do. She speaks about places of worship, and Jesus replies, and then the woman says, uh, speaks of when the Messiah comes. He will explain everything, and Jesus replies, I am he. The very God is before this woman's eyes. You can read that in verse 26. You know, Jesus knows every longing of our hearts. He knows every pain. He knows every bruise, every mistake, and every mark of shame. He knows it all. And he knows it not to increase our shame or to make us feel worse, but he longs for us to bring it to him. He died for all of that on a cruel cross. And he rose again. He defeated sin. It's not for us to hold on to. We are called to live in freedom. For this woman, imagine what she is feeling. Rejected, shunned, alone. And Jesus, King of Kings, Almighty God, is caring, is lovingly engaging, is uprooting the mess. This woman is seen, she is listened to. For a, the first time in a long time, she is visible. He is bringing living water to the desert place of our soul. Jesus longs to engage with us in the desert places, every part of us this morning. I wonder what it is that's feeling. I wonder how we're feeling in our walks with God. Maybe some of us are feeling parched. Maybe we're feeling in a, in a desert season. Jesus is eager to bring his living water this morning. He's eager to engage with us. Maybe we've come in this morning and thought, Jesus won't want to speak into my life. He'll want to do that to some of the holier folk, some of the other folk that have got it all together, whatever that is. He is eager to speak in. And then just to close, Jesus shows a way to love that changes everything. I can imagine those words when Jesus says, I am he. When I read some passages, I kind of think of the context and think, what would that be like today? And I think at that moment when he says, I am he, you would have these stenders drums. Do, 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 do. <laughs> then you'd have to wait till next week to read the next chapter. I think those words would have reverberated through her body and soul. I am he. Jesus loves and listens and values. He reveals he is the Messiah to a woman. Not only does he speak to her, he reveals he is the Messiah. He only does that two times. He doesn't do it to his disciples. He does it to this woman and he does it to Judas. If you read through the Gospels, two times he says, I am the Messiah. Everything changes at that moment. If we were to read on uh, verse 28 very significant thing happens. She leaves her water jar. So the very water she's going to get, and this isn't like a little plastic bucket. This is a big, heavy jar. She would have walked a long way. This was an essential to everyday living. She leaves it. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, and she continues speaking to them. When we meet Jesus, our lives are shaken from the inside out. Paul to the Philippians in chapter 3, 
uh, verse 7. This is the message version. says this. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ, uh, Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I was surprised when I read that in the message version. Dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on this resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. So this woman leaves the water jar. And then in verse 39, we read, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This woman gossips the gospel. She gossips about Jesus. Many people came to know Jesus through her. This is really, really significant. Because for her to share her story, she would have to be present. She would have to be visible. She would have to be vocal. She was speaking to people. At the beginning of the passage, she would be out in the heat of the day where no one else would see her. Now people are following Jesus because of her. When we meet Jesus, we can't help but share what he has done for us. I wonder if there's some of us this morning that are heading out at noon. We're avoiding opportunities. We're crossing the road. Maybe we have a fear of what will change or we're crippled by the past. Maybe we're speaking over ourselves. I can't be used. I'm damaged goods. I want to say this morning that that is rubbish. And God's word in this passage proves it. There is more for each and every one of us. I read a book over the Christmas holidays called The Burden is Light by a pastor called John Tyson, who has planted a church in Hell's Kitchen in New York City. Remarkable, just a remarkable guy. And I want to close with this quote. He says, Buried beneath our reservation, our guilt, our curiosity, and our hesitation is an innate hunger for a passion that we can give ourselves fully to. Deep in our souls, we long for something or someone to wake us from the slumber of our late modern culture. Underneath the chit-chat, the bills, the work drama, the hobbies, and church events is a gnawing need for a cause worthy enough to give our lives to. Jesus is that cause. Jesus is that cause, Inverness Vineyard Church. We are to pursue Jesus. And the best is most certainly to come. Let's stand.